As a business podcast, you may think today's guest is slightly left of field and unique to our previous guests, but her relevance to our audience and in helping shape Australia's business landscape is unquestionable. Today's guest is Jacinda Isla, Principal at Brisbane Girls Grammar School. Jacinda's path to the education industry is fascinating. Unlike many of her colleagues, she started her career in the corporate world, working finance roles in two prominent advertising agencies. Jacinda is now the head of one of Australia's most successful girls' schools, with its students consistently topping Queensland's academic charts. Their most recent cohort's median ATAR was 95.75, with nearly 15% of students achieving an ATAR of 99 or above, the top band in Australia. Jacinda's role as principal is much more akin to that of a company CEO, as she has to oversee all facets of the business side of the school, from crucial infrastructure projects to the financing whilst also ensuring she meets the other, perhaps more important side of the job, which is ensuring the students' pastoral and educational needs are met. Hello and welcome back to The Business Of. I'm Charlie. And I'm Will. On today's podcast, we get to hear from the leader of one of Australia's premier education institutions and how they go about preparing students for life beyond school. We delve into Jacinda's pathway to the education industry and her thoughts on how to fix the current teacher shortage. We unpack why Girls Grammar excels and what the most important criterion are for a great education institution. We talk about some of the biggest issues facing Australia's education system to date, including ChatGPT, which we were surprised about just in his response on. And finally, she gives us her view on what makes a great leader. We hope you enjoy. Okay, hello and welcome back to the Business of. Today we're joined by Jacinda Isla. Jacinda, how are you? Thanks, Will. That's great. I'm great. Thank you. Very keen for this one. So I guess we'll start out um, with your career, Jacinda. So what attracted you to the teaching profession initially? Um, I have to say I came to teaching quite late. It wasn't something that I ever considered when I left school. I'd moved into um, journalism and advertising and I'd had some interesting um, uh, positions in San Francisco and Sydney and done Mm -hmm. a few other things, but I came back at 25 feeling very old, I must say, at 25. (laughs) You're very young. And and I guess it was kind of a a sort of a a pragmatic decision that I realised that those industries, my heart wasn't fully in them. Um, I'd had some wonderful experiences and great opportunities, but I came back to Brisbane and thought, um, I thought I might become a teacher or a doctor. And at those times, um, medicine was still six years and teaching was one. Mm. And so I just made really quite a pragmatic, um, almost sudden decision to take a different path. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I guess, so just off the back of that, what do you reckon, because at the moment, I guess Australia is facing a bit of a teacher shortage. Mm. So what do you reckon is going to attract more people to that profession? And, you know, like, how are we going to go about sort of dealing with that that issue? Yeah, it's very complex. I remember mm. someone describing a lot of these issues of being cloud problems. You, you deal with so many things simultaneously. There's no one easy answer to it. So I yeah. guess the first thing is you have to um, make uh, the vocation of teaching appealing. You need to yeah. attract people into the degree in the first place. Mm. People come for different reasons from different places. And I think there isn't one way that suits all. So I think you have to have a, a multi-pronged at- approach to attracting people into the degree in the first place and then the next challenge of course is once they get into the classroom once they get into schools one of the problems that we have is actually retaining them and Mm. that has a lot to do with terms and conditions it has a lot to do with um, the possibility of advancement and um, progression of your career and it has a lot to do with the demands on teachers at this time um, that it is so demanding um, and 
so we have to find ways to make sure that when people are in the profession it's sustainable. Mm. So um, I think if you look at other countries where uh, education is perhaps more deeply respected within a society, such as some of the, some of the Scandinavian countries, mm. they've been changing their infrastructure and putting things in place for literally decades. So yeah. you need to get you know, and I think how teachers and educators speak about the vocation, often they discourage people from pursuing education. Mm. But in fact, mm. um, most people who go into it um, have perhaps gone into teaching because of a teacher that they had or they've gone into it because they have a particular passion for a particular subject. So mm. I think you come at it from different um, ways, but um, I'm also an advocate for the shorter postgraduate qualification, which is what I did, which was just a 12-month, because mm. um, yeah. you attract people who've yeah. had other careers back into teaching. And mm. that's, sorry, just touching mm. on that point, that's a... I'd, couple of my teachers that I had at school that I that I really enjoyed were ones that could draw upon those past experiences. Um, in a lot of careers, that's very beneficial. How, how has it benefited you in your time at Girls Grammar and yeah, in teaching in general? I think, Charlie, one of the things is um, I feel very clearly, while some people have a very strong vocational sense and knew from the time they were very, very young and they've loved mm. teaching and they went into it and that was absolutely um, their passion and first choice, for someone like me that came later, I think there's that sense that I've absolutely chosen this. This yeah. is absolutely a deliberate thing. I haven't fallen into teaching by accident. I really, really want to be here. And mm. having had those other more corporate experiences, I think that's been very helpful, certainly, as you move into leadership positions. Makes sense. Yeah. Mm. Now, moving moving forward onto Girls Grammar, um, Girls Grammar is a school that has produced some of the most successful women in Australia and the world for that matter. Um, what is it about Girls Grammar education that you believe sets students up for success? Yeah, that's a big question, I have to say, Charlie. <laughs> but first and foremost, I think we remain focused on what our primary um, priority is, and that is the education that you provide in the classroom. Yeah. So first and foremost, it has to look like um, exciting learning. It has to be very expert. It has to be based on research. People are very rigorous and, uh, and very deliberate in what they do. So whatever the subject, um, you, you expect a certain standard of um, teaching expertise. Mm. But also, I, I think a big part of it is the different um, and, and we're quite deliberate about this that people teach very much within their areas so mm -hmm. if you have a history teacher that teacher only teaches history and they really yep. believe it's the most exciting subject in the world <laughs> or yep. a physics teacher and so there's a lovely healthy competition so I think um, just developing a passion and love of learning comes often through those disciplines and through those subjects that those people have pursued and chosen to teach but I think more broadly it's certainly about the attitudes that you develop the confidence that um, you hope the girls get out of their broader experiences whether it's music or whether it's sport um, and just that um, I guess that cultural impact um, that arises from having others who are really serious about what they're doing mm. and so it's it's um, as we say very cool to work hard um, it's you know something that's encouraged and that is honestly the most important thing of course of all that you encourage girls to work hard and it is an environment and it is a culture of high expectations. It doesn't suit everybody, but I think um, those girls take with them a sense that nothing comes easily. Everything is hard won. Mm. Um, and I think that's probably one of the signature strengths of grammar girls when they go into their lives beyond school. Mm. Just touching back on the teaching aspect of it, because what amazes me is that like the curriculum's the same for everyone in Queensland, yet, you know, you know, students around across the state get such different learning experiences. So can you hone in a bit on how, how you go about training up your teachers to give, 
girls are girls grammar is such a great experience in the classroom yeah that's again very complex yeah. um <laughs> <laughs> but and, and i think that's the thing people often think that there's a, a simple answer or there's mm. something that you can replicate elsewhere yeah um i think first and foremost it comes down to having a respect for teachers and a yeah. trust in what they do so um they will have lots of experiences in common they will seek to develop you know um, critical thinking across the board but how they do it is very much dependent upon their subject so an english teacher will teach uh, critical thinking in a very particular way mm. and you know that that sort of microcosm of a classroom is a very dynamic and very particular and very carefully orchestrated environment so it comes down very much to the people who are in front of the girls yeah. it comes down to trusting them keeping them to high standards of accountability uh, but ultimately you know they are unsupervised in classrooms in relationship with that class and with that student so you really have to have a high level of trust mm. and you have to provide opportunities for them to develop professionally mm. yeah and now you, you spoke a little bit there about um co-curricular and the, the sort of the the full range offering that Girls Grammar provides their students. Um, can you speak a bit to this, the role that school spirit plays in your academic performance of your students and also um, the cultural sort of development that they get? Yeah, spirit is a very tricky thing to nail down, yeah. but it's absolutely the secret source. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, you know, the, um, so, you know, people, again, you can't sort of document exactly what that looks like and it's bred over time. But mm. I think the, you know, sometimes there are some myths out there about what um, a school that's perceived to be very academic, and it is. Mm. Um, uh, you know, you're walking around with a furrowed brow all day and everybody's very serious <laughs> and nobody does anything but look at their books. But the bottom line is, I, I think um, it's a very powerful factor in, in the school's success and the success of the girls. And that is that when they feel connected to the school, when they're looking forward to coming up, when there's something yeah. silly and exciting, whether there's something wonderful to celebrate, whether it's sport or a music performance, um, I think that sense of spirit uh, brings out the best in people and it brings out a sense of and the girls talk about it, the sisterhood, so that they're supporting one another, they're supporting their school, they're supporting themselves, one another in a classroom. So I think the spirit is absolutely fundamental uh, to the success of the school and the girls and what they do. Mm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, just touching um, more closely in on your role now. So as principal of BGGS, um, I guess your role, role is more akin to like a CEO than just like a, you know, a regular teacher. So how do you go about managing the day-to-day -day happenings of girls' grammar? Um, as not only a school, but also in the way it operates like a business. Yeah, um, well, it is. And, and I think, um, you know, understanding the dynamics of a school is is um, a really interesting thing for me as the principal of the school, mm. because if you think about the different sections of a school, you have to manage all of them and you have to keep them all in balance. So the very obvious thing is teaching and learning and the teachers and the curriculum and what happens yeah. there. Alongside that is the co-curriculum that we've talked about, whether it's mm. music and sport and making sure that they've got the best facilities and the best opportunities. Mm. And then, of course, underpinning it is all of that responsibility around uh, pastoral care. So that sort of those proactive programs that yeah. um, develop young people, but also the reactive um, elements when things go wrong and, you know, there are issues around mental health or um, social uh, disruption or whatever might be happening mm. um, in people's lives. So they're the things that people understand in a school, but then the CEO part, as you say, 
are also just such fascinating elements. So, yeah. you know, you're leading the HR and you're looking at, you know, performance of, of staff, the appointment, the recruitment mm. of staff, um, and sometimes when things go wrong, you're also overseeing the communications engagement. Mm. So what's the marketing strategy, the social mm. media, and then, of course, the finance, the facilities and IT. So it's trying to keep across all of those things, keep those things united. Yeah. One of the challenges at school is you have teachers alongside, obviously, accountants, yeah. And, you know, IT professionals yeah. and trying to make sure that there's a sense of um, connectedness and, and common purpose is, mm. is one of the challenges. But um, it's certainly one of the things that's most interesting. Mm. Yeah, for and sure. you spoke there about the various um, professions that come together um, to help provide your students the best possible education. During your time as principal, you've been involved in overhauls of the Queensland education system. Um, you've facilitated many major infrastructure projects um, for, for Girls Grammar and you've graduated thousands of students. What out of all these things do you enjoy the most? Ah, oh, gee. Um, <laughs> I really enjoy, I enjoy the, just what you've described, you know, the diversity of it. Yeah. So yeah. If, you, if you think about your day in little, you know, sort of 15 to half hour increments, you might be speaking to an architect about designing an amazing new building. Then you might be speaking to the auditors about getting the financials um, yeah. signed off for the year. And <laughs> so then, diverse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. Yeah. And then you might have a little 12-year-old girl comes in and she's got an idea to have possum houses in the trees. And <laughs> <laughs> so there's this great, you know, emotional ebb and flow. And then, and then you know, you're talking to someone who's um, got a very serious issue to deal with. So mm. um, what do I love most? I think I love the complexity of all of that and the the diverse experiences, but very much within the context of a school. Mm. So um, I can't sort of imagine myself doing that in a different environment. It's very much grounded in mm. young people. And, and I think the thing I love is that you could never for long um, feel flat. Yeah. So you just have to yeah. walk outside and, and see one of those um, beautiful young girls walk past and they've had a great day or something beautiful's happened. So I think I enjoy that within the context of a school with people who, who all have a, a common goal of um, bringing these um, beautiful young people along. Yeah. Mm. For sure. Um, so I guess we'll wrap up the conversation about girls' grammar. You know, so there, there are many fantastic girls' schools in Brisbane um, what sets Girls Grammar apart and what are your major selling points to parents? Give us a little sales pitch, I guess. Okay, well, you've <laughs> got a very probing look there, Will. to fight it. Well, first of all, I agree. There are fantastic girls schools in mm. Brisbane and throughout Australia and fantastic schools everywhere. So I, I've, never, I've never spoken out as one type of school or one system is better than another. Mm. So I always believe that, you know, educators, wherever you find yourself, have really the same purpose and goal and that is to educate young people, but the context is different. So I think it's important that every school understands what it is that they offer, that you don't try to be all things to all people. Mm -hmm. I would say, if I summarised our selling points, Will, <laughs> I would say first and foremost, it's the broad liberal education, yeah. and that is that we really honestly believe in keeping things as open um, as as long as possible so there's time for things to be vocational later but this is about education and that one sweet period of your life where you can do what you love and learn to the best of your ability so I think the very deliberately broad approach and I would also say um, that the size and the variety is definitely um, a selling point um, <laughs> you know people often talk about things being big but what comes out of it being big is that you can offer so much and yeah. that girls can find what it is that they love nobody can do everything yeah. um, but when you've got you know such a range um, I think that's one of the things and then just that 
sheer um, passion for the advancement of girls and young women. So yeah. there's uh, across the board a unanimous belief, or you couldn't be here if you didn't believe that it was important for girls to take their rightful place in the world. Mm. No, for sure. Now, moving yeah. more sort of generally to the Australian education system, there have been calls um, to reform the ATAR system from New South Wales and Victoria in favour of alternate pathways to higher education. Um, what is your position on the ATAR system and how it's operated to date? Okay, and I believe you two were the first crop through. Yeah, we were the first yeah, we were. to go through, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I should be asking you, but, no. <laughs> <laughs> but you knew nothing different, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> Look, the reality is uh, there is no perfect system, and, and I think that we had certain, we certainly had lots of concerns about it um, in the formative phase and, and right at the beginning, and we continue to refine it. Um, but we've gone past the why, now it's the how. So how do you deliver whatever system you find yourself in? You need to understand what the parameters are, how you can provide the best education that you possibly can. I think, unfortunately, it hasn't addressed some of the things that it was supposed to address, um, and that included uh, people not qualifying within the system of the yeah. old OP system. Unfortunately, that hasn't been addressed. Um, I think there are calls to um, overhaul it, to get rid of it, but at this time in our history, it's a very efficient way of finding, you know, um, it's just a score, it's just a point in time, ultimately yeah. that ATAR. Hmm. It's relatively efficient in getting people into universities. Hmm. Um, it's not without its uh, challenges. Um, the very prescriptive nature of learning that has come in that we didn't have before is in some respects a little regressive. Mm. But it is a rigorous system and um, I think uh, it's here to stay for a little while yet. Yeah. Mm. Yep. I guess we can't touch on you know, issues facing Australia's education system without asking about um, ChatGPT, which seems to be very topical at the moment. Um, we saw you guys discuss that on your recent Girls Grammar podcast. Um, it's called Illumin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... What are your views on the AI language model and its functions? And is there a point where we'll be educating students on like how to use these tools most effectively? Or is it, is it better if those tools sort of stay out of schools, especially while kids are younger, and perhaps they learn that later on in university or in the workforce maybe? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's um, a very complex one, Will, yeah. but you're right. It just sort of, I guess it came onto the global stage so quickly. So mm. it only been developed in November and then suddenly in January yeah. there was this next, this, you know, <laughs> it's never quite for long. Um, but I think the reality is AI is going to be part of our lives. It will build... Um, bridges um, uh, into the future and really there'll be enormous benefits in time. I think the challenge for a school is to be aware of it and any mm. new technology that comes in, we need to understand it first and foremost. Yeah. We need to be responsive, explore it, but you know, uh, you know, as you will have heard me say, I certainly don't believe in banning any of those things. Mm. Mm. It's more about understanding it, they're here to stay, how can we leverage it in a positive way to improve teaching and learning. In terms of whether we save it for later no I don't believe that's true it's mm. like the technology of phones or any other device um, we walk alongside the students it's mm. part of their lives um, there's no point you know they're going to be accessing it out of hours at home yeah. Yeah, exactly. they go. <laughs> yeah. so we're not silly we can't keep ahead of them but um, but I think it's about educating them in its use um, yeah. and exploring it with curiosity so within the school different teachers are interested at in it to varying degrees. So mm. you might have, you know, our drama teacher who's curious and he's out exploring it, someone else not so much. So as a, as a um, principal of a school, part of your job is to make sure you don't divert all of your resources suddenly to the next newest mm. fad. 
it's in its early stages of development. It's not very refined at this time, but it's going to be the part Part, um, part of everybody's lives, whatever career they pursue. So it's mm. much better that you get familiar with it, mm. get comfortable with it and educate people as best you can how to use it and hopefully actually bring benefit out of it. Mm. Oh, it's really interesting, a really interesting way of thinking about it and probably quite, I suppose, sort of goes to the, the your understanding of, um, you know, being progressive and yeah. understanding that just because something's new doesn't mean we should run away from it because if we run away from it, there's chances are it'll rear its head at some point where if we're not prepared, we're going to be a step behind the rest of the pack. So, yeah. Yeah, I would Absolutely. have read countless articles about, you know, people calling to bandit in schools and, you know, mm. like um, how it's like the death of high school English and stuff yeah. like that. Like I've mm. read a lot about it. Yeah, and I'll, I've always been thinking the exact same thing that you just said, like these students are going to access it out of hours. So you're really fighting a losing battle if you're going to exactly. try and ban it. It almost makes them more inclined to use it, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's a very interesting um, issue, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's cool. And if yeah. you look at the investment by companies like Microsoft, you know that oh. you know, yeah, they don't gonna spend it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, there's a yeah. there's a company called Norton Rose. They have an implementation of the AI program. For, like, go, legal use? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and so you go, well, hang on. If the future employers are going to be using it as well, mm. what it, how are you setting up your kids if you're saying, no, you're not going to see it until you get get to the workforce. So, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, next question. Um, I suppose a major challenge um, that has been facing not just girls but boys as well, but particularly the, the female, the, the, the girls' um, education system is the STEM, the STEM subjects. Mm. Now, um, STEM-related industries um, is obviously so vital to our economy and um, the future. So what is Girls Grammar doing to sort of promote girls to enter that industry? And um, can you speak a bit to any investments or um, time you guys have put into the girls' development in that space? Yeah, Charlie, I think when you look at the statistics across Australia and around the world, it isn't good for girls mm. um, entering those professions and all well, those degrees in the first place. And then mm. those progressions, which um, take take people into um, leadership positions, positions of power, positions of influence, mm. and let's face it, highly paid positions. So exactly. Yeah. There's a definite gendered um, issue out there. And I guess when you look at the statistics, what's most concerning is how hard it has been to budge those statistics. Mm. But if you go back to the school level of girls' grammar, fortunately, they do not in any way reflect what's actually happening in our schools. So the girls will be absolutely bewildered if anyone said to them, and I do remember a journalist years ago um, interviewing some Year 9 girls, and they were comp- they just didn't know what the journalist was asking <laughs> because that just was not their experience. So in our mm. school, um, we will have over at uh, 90 to 91% at the moment um, taking a science subject in year wow. 11 and 12. So oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just taking on those stats there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Boys. Yeah. So, in, in, and, you know, and, and many take multiple. Um, yeah. The flip side for us is making sure that we keep that broad liberal uh, approach that we don't have girls only narrowly focusing on STEM because we absolutely believe in the importance of the humanities, the creative arts and the languages. So mm. one of our challenges actually at the at the moment is to make sure that they do maintain a balance. But statistically, yes, we would have, um, we definitely have 90% of our senior girls taking at least one science. And when they go beyond school, they go into um, very heavily towards science-based uh, mm. university degrees so about 25% will go into math science uh, degrees and another 25% will go 
go into health, health fields, yep. which have a very mm. strong basis. So 50% of grammar girls go in. But the question is um, where they progress after that as well. Yeah, that's the and that's the big challenge, I think, because obviously there's a whole lot of other social challenges that you face as a, as a female in the workforce after after when, when you've got to have kids and, you know, progressing up the chain, it's very hard. So I think, but sounds like Girls Grammar is putting a lot of time into at least giving them that platform to launch off mm. initially. Yeah, no, cool. Mm. Um, and I guess another key challenge like facing Australia as a whole in the education sense is, um, you know, we're heading backwards compared to other countries in regards to like maths and science results in general. Um, and we're just wondering whether you had any thoughts on how, you know, school should go about addressing this and sort of what your views are on that. Mm, that's, yeah. that's a hard one um, because, we'll, you know, they make these global comparisons and how accurate they are and how representative they are. It's hard to know. There's certainly a lot to suggest that the girls or the students of Australia don't take those PISA tests terribly seriously. Yeah. Because yeah. They count. Yeah. yeah. So well, I, I'd... Remember I, doing them? Yeah, I re- remember, remember doing them and not... Oh, sure the, we'll those, those ACER tests? Yeah. yeah I, had to, I had to reset one of them, I'm pretty sure, because I think um, my head of year was amazed at how low my score was you thought yeah. i wasn't trying yeah, but yeah. i think i just genuinely just didn't understand the question no but no yeah. i definitely there was times yeah. where you go oh this is just another test that i don't yeah like you just finished like an actual maths exam and then you've got the next day you got an acer test and it's like, like oh no. yeah. yeah so there's probably a bit to be said about how we yeah. potentially record that data yeah yeah I absolutely think. and 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 you know it's very hard to make comparisons across yeah. a globe mm. very different yeah. education systems yeah. and a lot of schools too and you know when you talk about different countries and the education you know the education that we provide is very broad you know people in other countries there is no co-curriculum no. they don't they don't spend their time doing all these other things so it's not often apples with apples but it is concerning because you do want australian uh, students and australian graduates to take their place in the world and we do want australia to be globally competitive mm. um, and we're you know we have extraordinary natural resources and amazing um, potential so you want to make sure that our, our, our people as a mm. nation are prepared for it so how to address yeah. it i'm not exactly exactly sure yeah, yeah. Um, and but we watch those trends over time yeah, yeah for sure I yeah. think I think you, you touched on the never losing the co-curricular aspect and I think even probably what I'm seeing very much just as an intern at the place I'm working the people who are able to deal with others and result you don't necessarily need to be outgoing but people who understand and can be empathetic if the moment we lose that um, would be a very sort of scary moment for our country so I think keeping that co-curricular um, involvement as part of our education system is something we've got to keep uh, whilst trying to get the maths and science up obviously and that, yeah. those sorts of skills yeah, yeah. Hmm. I guess um, you know being the leader of the school and also seeing a lot of you know students come through as leaders in the form of captains house captains etc um, we were just wondering um, what you thought the most important qualities for a leader um, to have were well, I think I think with the leadership, you need different types of leaders for different environments at mm. different times. And even in, you know, so I've been the principal of the school for 10 years and different times and different situations, whether it's COVID or whether you're in a mm. different stage, yeah. requires different leadership skills. Mm. But I think there are some, you know, non-negotiables and that is um, whatever area you're leading in, there needs to be a certain level of expertise, but yeah. obviously you rely upon others yeah. um, to actually deliver the daily life of the school. I think without question, there must be a commitment to hard work. And I think increasingly, you know, um, I, I, I wouldn't say 
there wasn't some adjustment necessary in our society, but at the end of the day, if you want to succeed, you do have to work hard. Yeah. Um, good communication is essential because more and more we're dealing with more and more complex um, issues um, in society and certainly within our organisations and being able to communicate, to inspire trust, to smooth the waters and also uh, increasingly be under greater scrutiny, um, mm, yeah. you know, being able to communicate and uh, is essential and then being able to work collaboratively. So there's nothing that can be achieved, any old model of, you know, which I think we're long past, of mm. it being a sole person leading an organisation is dead, yeah. um, thankfully. Um, <laughs> but so we do need to, yeah, you need to have to work within a team and you need to be able to work with very different people and draw on their strengths and value them all equally and understand, um, you know, when their contribution might be most important. Mm. It's very, very good way of putting it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a question we like to finish the podcast on, if you had um, one piece of advice to give uh, any of the, well, I suppose we normally ask for a, an 18 or 20 year old version of yourself, but we've changed it for you. <laughs> Can't to remember. The, yeah, <laughs> we've changed it for you to the departing year 12s. Um, what would it be? A piece of advice yeah. for the future. Yeah. Um, you know, and. Embrace whatever comes your way. Don't worry too much of the f about the future. Concentrate on exactly where you're at now and do it to the best of your ability and, and be open to new opportunities and changes because you learn so much when you're put in difficult, new, challenging situations. So don't ever be afraid um, to do something that's different and don't think that you have to have it all lined up perfectly. Mm. No one follows a strictly linear path. Life is... Uh, much more circular and mm. often the people who jump sideways actually end up in the end further ahead so mm. try something different don't um, be so caught up in the ultimate outcome of what you're a part of think much more um, I guess openly and expansively so be deliberate have a path but also be open to new opportunities yeah mm. and I think um, you're a great example of someone who's managed to do that um, Jacinda so congrat congratulations on what you've managed to achieve so far in your career and um, mm. girls grammar have a very positive future ahead of them yeah. Thank you, Charlie. Thanks so much for your time today, Jacinda. We really appreciate your insights on the school and then also the education system more broadly. Um, so, yeah, I really appreciate your time and coming on. Yeah. My absolute pleasure, Will. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Business Of. If you enjoyed the show, please consider rating and following us on your chosen podcast platform, LinkedIn and Instagram, as it helps others find us. 